0: Welcome to the Huddo Community Church Podcast. HCC is located in Hutto, Texas, and is led by Pastor Russell Daniel. For more information, please check out our website at huddocommunitychurch.org. Now let's join Pastor Russell for today's message. Uh, Last thing I'll remind you of is September 11th is back to church weekend. Uh, You guys remember a couple of weeks ago, for those of you that were here, I challenged you in that prayer of three, think about three people who do not know the Lord, who are not following Christ, and begin praying for them over the next four, five, six weeks. And on that September 11th weekend, kind of after Labor Day, we kind of get through our last summer hurrah, uh, we're going to gather back and we're going to have a great time of worship and uh, hope to see uh, some folks come to Christ that week as well. Uh, speaking of folks coming to Christ, our message tonight is going to focus on uh, three different stories out of the Book of Acts, Acts chapter sixteen, of individuals who are coming to Christ. And so I thought to start out tonight, uh, most of you in this room have probably not heard my story, and so I thought I would start out by sharing that before we dive into the text tonight. So. Uh, I was actually born here in the Austin area, actually at Seton Hospital, uh, down on 38th Street, way back when, to a wonderful Christian family. My dad was and still is a pastor, and he's ministering at a church in Victoria, Texas now, and my mom is a nurse. Uh, she's an RN uh, by trade and has kind of moved over into the school district and is the, the nurse at Manville High School. And so obviously, I grew up at church all the time, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday. Uh, I was thinking this week, uh, I was, you know, we've got Haley running around and she's a handful and doesn't like to take a nap. And for some reason, I was with dad at church during the week. And I can just imagine the pain on his face as he was trying desperately to get me to take a nap on one of those old school pews so he could just have some peace and quiet and work for a little bit. And uh, so I was at church all the time. Loved church, was there uh, a lot, and and grew up obviously hearing about Jesus and, and really came to know the Lord at the age of five years old. And I can tell you exactly where I was. We were in our living room in Grand Prairie, Texas, and I began to ask questions of my dad. What is heaven like? What is heaven about? Why Jesus? What, what about all these things, angels, hell, this and that? And he sat me down and began very simply to share the gospel with me at that age. And so I sat with my mom and my dad, and we held hands, sat on the floor in that living room, and I prayed to receive Christ. And you may say, well, man, that's, that's a lot for a five-year-old to take in, and, and that's true, But even at that young age, I knew a couple of things were very true. That I was a sinner in need of saving. I was a liar. I was a thief. Even at that young age, a coveter. And I needed someone to save me. And Jesus paid the price by dying on the cross for me. being raised again three days later. And I've walked with the Lord ever since then. Not perfectly, you can surely ask my parents about my teenage years. Uh, you can even ask my wife who's here tonight and she'll tell you, I'm not perfect. I still need the Lord's grace every day. And, and so as I grew up and continued to go to church and, and continued to love being around the people of God and especially as I moved into high school, really loved the social aspect of it and that's where all my friends were. And so it was just a fun place to be. Now, I'll be very honest with you, I never thought I'd be on this stage. I never had any dreams of being a pastor. Being pastor was always my dad's deal, and good for him. I love the church, going to be a part of it all my life, but I don't want to do that. Of course, here I am today. And that all began on a summer, much like this really hot day today, we were at a church camp, and uh, it was a Tuesday night. And I remember, it was the end of the service. I have no idea what the service was about. I was praying for a friend as we were about to go off to college in just a couple of weeks, and kind of had this wandering question of, well, what am I going to do with my life? And I got to tell you, you got to be careful about what you wonder, because sometimes God might answer questions that you don't want answered. And in that very moment, he spoke oh so clearly. He said, Russell, you're going to be in ministry for me. And I was shocked at that. Wasn't my plan. Wasn't my idea. Certainly wasn't what I wanted to do. I thought, oh, you know what? I'm going to get out of this. I'm going to I'm going to pray about it, right? And I went to my youth pastor at the time and said, hey, Jared, you got to pray for me about this thing. And he said, oh, really? What's going on? And I shared with him what I heard from the Lord, and he said, uh, Russell, I don't have to pray about that because while the Lord told you that, He told me to tell you that very same thing in that very same moment. So that was confirmation enough for me. So I went to college, went to seminary, moved back to Austin in 2013 and started a church uh, in North Austin. And shortly thereafter, I met Brooke playing rec league softball. And we dated for eight or nine months and got engaged and were married in 2015. Shortly after that, uh, came on staff with Austin Christian Fellowship and moved out here to Hutto to start Austin Christian Fellowship Hutto, which as most of you now know is Hutto Community Church, and here we are tonight. And so I tell you my story, and really, um, there's a part of me that doesn't like sharing my story, because there's nothing dramatic, there's nothing crazy. I wasn't in all kinds of sin and dramatic events that really led me to a place of meeting with the Lord. And so it's just not something I, I like to share a whole lot, but as I reflected on that and as I've gotten older, I've seen the Lord's grace over and over and over again, while I wasn't saved in the midst of all that, the Lord saved me from all of that. And just being a human being like you guys, without the grace of the Lord Jesus in my life, I certainly would have gone the way of the world into sin and all those things. Um... Now we're here tonight, and each and every single one of you has a story and you're all at different places. Some of you uh, may have a story and It's like mine, and maybe you don't share it very often, that God maybe saved you more from things than while you're in the middle of those things. Some of you, uh, your story, most of it happened a long time ago, and maybe you were in all of those things, and now you've kind of grown up and grown out of that, and and you don't really want to talk about who you used to be because it's embarrassing, and it's certainly not the person you are today. Or maybe you're here, and you're still in the middle of it, and you're like, I I don't want to share my story because it's certainly not cleaned up. And I don't see the light at the end of the tunnel. And I'm having a hard time seeing God's goodness, even in the midst of all of this. But I just want to tell you tonight, your story is so important. It's unique to you and to only you. And I think as we're going to see in the scripture tonight, that God is faithful, even in the darkest of circumstances. So if you have a Bible, turn with me over to Acts chapter 16, or you can follow along. The words will be on the screen here. And I, I really love this story tonight. It's, uh, it's pretty entertaining. There's some interesting characters that we're going to meet. So let's go ahead and dive in. And I'm going to start uh, tonight in verse 11. So picking up with our story, Paul is now on his second missionary journey that he's left, and he's taken Silas to go with him, and they've picked up Timothy along the way. Uh, who Timothy later becomes the pastor in Ephesus, and Paul writes letters to him near the end of his life. And so they have made it all the way uh, to Philippi, and we'll pick up uh, with kind of how they got there. So setting sail from Troas, we made direct voyage to Samothrace, and the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city in the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city some days. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside, where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we, uh, we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. And the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized and her whole household as well, she urged us saying, if you you have judged me faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. All right, so here we have the first character that we're going to meet today. And her name is Lydia. Lydia. Now, Lydia is a very interesting person. She's from the city of Thyatira. So if you're uh, familiar with the Bible and know about Revelation, there are seven letters written to seven churches in the book of Revelation. Thyatira is one of them. And so it kind of makes you wonder if Lydia is the connection from uh, Philippi here over to Thyatira in that letter written there, but that's a sermon and a topic for another day. The fact is she was from a major city. And she was a great businesswoman, and so she had moved down to Philippi, which was a port city. So you're thinking New York or San Francisco, uh, somewhere big. There's a lot of people coming in and a lot of people being moved out. And she's selling some high-quality stuff. She's selling uh, purple goods, which, again, if you're familiar with that day and time, if you're wearing purple, you got some money, and that's what you're going to wear. And now I'm not into fashion, as you can tell, so uh, I shop at Cavenders, and that's as far as my fashion goes. But think high-dollar stuff, Nordstrom's, you know, the really, really, really good stuff. That's what she's selling. She's a successful businesswoman, and if you'll notice, she is also a God-fearing, moral person. So she's a worshiper of God, but she does not know Jesus She's still gathered on the Sabbath day. She's praying with the women who were there. Apparently, as our women are active here, man, those women were active there. And they had some kind of Beth Moore Bible study going on down by the river there. And Paul shows up, and he begins to share the gospel and the good news of Jesus and how he was the promised Messiah from the Old Testament. And something in her heart just lit up, and she comes to know Jesus right then and there. So Lydia is our example of a person who grew up in a good moral household and and, and in that space, in that religious space, Jesus comes in and saves her and changes her life. How many of you that that's your story? You grew up in church, you grew up uh, religious, and you came to know Jesus that way. Anybody? Any takers? We got a few. Okay, there we go. And Jesus has come into your life as well. So, uh, Paul and Silas continue ministering there, and now we meet our second individual, and we'll start reading in verse 16. As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And she kept doing this for many days. And Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ, come out of her. And it came out at that very hour. All right, so Paul and Silas and his crew, they're going to the place of prayer. And all of a sudden they meet this demon-possessed slave girl. And she began, I mean, the scripture kind of makes it sound like she's part of their crew. And every time, you know, Paul does something awesome or somebody comes to, to, to know Jesus, she's like, hey, salvation's over here. Come and get it. Salvation is this way. But in reality, she's an annoyance. She's mocking Paul and Silas and what they are doing. And and frankly, she's getting in the way of ministry. So Paul gets fed up with it. He just, the scripture says, he gets annoyed. And he turns around and he commands the demon to go out. And I would submit to you that the woman comes to know Jesus. Now, it doesn't say that explicitly in the scripture, but if you remember Jesus' teaching from Matthew chapter 12, verses 43 through 46, what Jesus says is when a demon goes out and leaves, it goes through waterless places, but doesn't find anything, it comes back to that place. And it's going to bring with it a whole gang of demons with it, and the wreckage is going to be worse than it originally was. And we don't see that happening here in the scripture. So I would submit to you that this demon-possessed slave girl comes to know Jesus that very day. Because when we pick up the Scripture in verse 19, it says, "...but when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers." So here's the deal. This was a slave girl, She was demon-possessed. She was a fortune-teller. You can along with that, the other things, perhaps prostitution uh, and a whole gamut of other things that went along with that that made her owners a whole lot of money. And when Paul casts that demon out, something in her life completely changes so that they can no longer make money off of her. And so they get ticked at Paul and Silas and say, you guys have ruined our way of living. Let's continue reading and see what they did. When they brought them to the magistrates, they said, These men are Jews and they are disturbing our city. They, are, they advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. And then the whole crowd joins in and they attacked them, and the magistrates tore their garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely, having received this order. He put them into the inner prison and fastened their stocks. So our person number two, demon-possessed slave girl, um, involved in uh, sexual immorality, addiction. Uh, if they had drugs at that time, they were doing them. Some of you have come out of that. Some of you have come out of that place of addiction, whether alcohol or drugs, or maybe trying to find um, uh, your place in life, trying to find fulfillment in a partner. And for some of you, that's who you were. And Jesus came in and he met you in that place and saved you just the same. Now, at the end of those um, verses, we begin to meet our third character today, who's the Philippian jailer. Now, this gets really interesting here. Uh, because he receives the order from the rulers to put Paul and Silas into prison. But he doesn't just put them into prison. He he puts them in the inner prison, and then he goes ahead and puts them in stocks as well. So a little context here. Um, The inner prison was traditionally the place where all the waste and human excrement would drain to. So you can imagine that was a lot of fun. Then he's gonna put them in stocks and contort their body into a position that it is not meant to be in. So this is really uh, him taking out some aggression on Paul and Silas. Now, tradition tells us that uh, brutal Roman generals who did well serving the emperor as a gift for retirement, they would be given prominent jails to govern in prominent cities in the Roman Empire. So you can begin to imagine who this Roman jailer must have been. Think about the atrocities that he would have witnessed. I mean, Rome was not known for being nice to their enemies. They would often sack a city and then hang everybody on a cross and crucify the entire city as a message to anyone else who would walk by, do not mess with Rome because this is what we'll do to you as well. So this is not a nice guy. Many of our, um, those who fight for our country come back with PTSD, and you can imagine this guy had it. He had anger issues. He was mad at the world, uh, just inner rage going all of the time. So he gets Paul and Silas, who've created a ruckus in his city. They're not just going to jail. They're going to the inner jail, and we're going to put them in stocks and see how they like that. The funny thing is, when we pick up the scriptures, Paul and Silas, Paul and Silas are praying and worshiping. So here we pick it up, verse 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the prisoners were listening to them. Just side note, can you imagine that? Like you've just been beaten with rods. The whole city is against you. You've been put in the worst of the worst conditions. And what's their go-to? Prayer and worship. Here we go. Midnight service. And suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison Were shaken, And immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we're all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs. What must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your whole household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all who were in his house. And he took them that same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with this entire household that he had believed in God. And so there, in a Roman prison, where an angry, bitter jailer is in charge, God shows up. And as that earthquake uh, shook the jail and everyone's chains came loose and the doors opened, the jailer knew what was before him. Certain, sudden, immediate torture and death. Because anyone who lets prisoners out there's only one option for you, and that's death. So he draws his sword, and he said, I'll save him the trouble, and I'll just run, run myself through. And Paul calls out to him, the guy who's just beat him, who's just put him in the inner cell, who's just put him in stock. He says, hey, hold on, wait. We're all here. And then begins to share the good news of the gospel of Jesus. And that man and his entire household were saved. And so, church, I just want you to know, like, wherever you are, whether you're a good, moral, upright, religious person, you always try to do the right thing, my friends, you can't be good enough. You can't be. You can't do enough good to earn your way into heaven. If that were true, then people would do it. The Pharisees would have been right. We wouldn't have needed Jesus. But the reality is we can't do it. You can't be good enough, but Jesus can save you. Maybe you're in the pit. Maybe you're stuck in addiction. Maybe you're stuck with alcohol and drugs. Maybe you're trying to find a satisfaction in life somewhere else. My friend, you can't be bad enough to be beyond saving. There's no place that you can go where God's mercy and God's grace can't reach Maybe you're bitter. Maybe you're angry at the way life has turned out for you, that you wish things would have been different. If you only could have done this and you only would have married that person, if you only would have made this business decision, then you would certainly be in a better place and you are just angry and mad and wish things would change. Jesus can change you. He changed that bitter, angry jailer's heart and he can do the exact same for you, my friend. So you can't be so good that, you're, that you can earn salvation, but you can't be so bad that you're beyond salvation. You say, well, Russell, I, that all sounds good, but how do I get saved? I'm glad you asked. There's a great little scripture in Romans chapter 10. And this is not going to be on the screen, so I just ask you to listen here simply says, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. That's it. God hasn't made this so hard that that it's going to take you two years to get saved. He's made it simple so that anyone at any time might come to know Jesus. It's simply a confession that Jesus is going to be Lord of my life, and then I'm going to believe in him that God put him on the cross for my sins and raised him three days later. Verse 10 then says, uh, For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the Scripture says, For everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. Verse 13, For everyone... Who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. See again, it doesn't matter if you're a good, moral, righteous person, God will listen to you. It doesn't matter if you're in the pit, God will listen to you. Salvation is for everyone. God makes no distinction. And then I love what happens after this. Read, read verse 14 with me. It says, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How are they to believe in him whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. So here's here's the deal. Here's what God does. God saves. He saves everybody. Anybody who calls on his name, he's there. He'll answer that. And then what happens is he turns you around. And he sends you back out to be on mission to go back to that same place from which you were saved to then share your story of how you came to know Jesus to give hope and to give peace to others who are looking for it. And I love that because that comes back to where we started that everybody's story is important. And you may think, well, not my story. My story's not ready. I'm not there yet. People don't want to hear what I have to say. And I'll tell you, yes, they do. People will sit and listen for a long time when you begin telling them your story. And so, church, I want to encourage you. People need to hear your story. Your spouse needs to hear it. If you don't know how how your spouse, how your significant other came to know the Lord Jesus, you need to share that with them. Your children need to know how you came to know the Lord. My mom was saved at False Creek Camp in Oklahoma. When she was 17, my dad was saved at eight years old in his pastor's study at South Park Baptist Church in Alvin, Texas. Your children need to know how you were saved. Your coworkers need to hear your story. Those that you work with on a regular basis, they need to know about the hope and the good news of Jesus Christ. Those in your friend group, those that you hang out with, those you're around all the time, your clientele that you see on a regular basis, they need to know. We're in a society that is searching. People are looking for something. They are desperate more than maybe they have been a long, long time. And you've got the good news of Jesus. You say, Pastor, I don't know my story. I don't know that I've ever really met Jesus. Then, friend, I'll tell you, today's the day you can do it. And here, I'm going to lead you in a prayer. and, And you can know Jesus for the very first time and experience the peace and the comfort that he offers. So I'm going to close in prayer, and I'm going to give you that opportunity to come to know the Lord if you never have. And maybe you're that person who's like, man, I'd like to share my story, but Russell, I'm in the middle of it right now. And I'll tell you, if God can meet that angry jailer, and if he can meet that demon-possessed slave girl, he can meet you where you are. And all the things that are going on in your life, I'm telling you, he's the answer. We serve a big God. He's a great God, and He's a God who listens to you, and He's a God who will answer. Would you bow with me as we're going to pray? Thank you for joining us. If you enjoyed today's podcast, you can subscribe, share it with your friends, or visit our website at huddocommunitychurch.org. Thanks again for listening, and God bless.